0: This is Steve Carroll, and you're listening to the Basic Podcast. For today's episode, we're going to review how to use non-invasive ventilation in the ED. When we say non-invasive ventilation, we are usually talking about CPAP and BiPAP, so that's what we'll focus on. Non-invasive ventilation is a powerful tool that we can use to help our patients with various respiratory disorders. In some cases, it can help us avoid intubation, which is always a good thing for our patients. As always, this podcast doesn't represent the views and opinions of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. So let's get started. First, let's start off by talking about the definition of non-invasive ventilation. This is a term that encompasses many different devices and brand names, but we're going to focus on two specific modes, CPAP and BiPAP. CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure, while BiPAP stands for Bi-Level Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. Technically, the term BiPAP is a proprietary mode of ventilation that is trademarked by a particular company, but it is used so frequently, it may as well not be. For both of these modes, the patient is provided with positive pressure and oxygen via a tight-fitting face mask. The machine basically blows a large volume of oxygen into the face mask. This actually helps the patient breathe easier because it takes away a lot of their work of breathing. When you have the patient on non-invasive ventilation, they don't have to work as hard to breathe because of the positive pressure that we provide. Let's briefly talk about how non-invasive works, because you may be asked about this on a shift. Non-invasive ventilation works by improving the laminar flow of air, which stents open the smaller airways. This causes decreased atelectasis of the lung tissue, which improves pulmonary compliance and reduces the patient's work of breathing. In regards to the patient with pulmonary edema, you might think that the added pressure from non-invasive ventilation just blows the fluid out of the lungs, but that's actually not the case. Non-invasive ventilation actually helps with pulmonary edema by increasing intrathoracic pressure. This causes a decrease in preload and afterload. There is also a decrease in venous return to the heart, so you aren't really blowing the fluid out of the lungs you are actually decreasing the amount of blood flow, and therefore the fluid that ends up in the lungs in the first place. Now let's talk about the difference between CPAP and BiPAP. The main difference is whether or not the positive pressure changes as the patient breathes in and out. CPAP provides the same amount of pressure all the time without adjusting the pressure to sync with the patient's breathing. So with CPAP, the pressure is set at one number, let's say 10 centimeters of water, With BiPAP, the amount of pressure varies as the patient breathes in and out. For example, the pressure may be 10 centimeters of water when the patient breathes in, and 5 centimeters of water the rest of the time when the patient isn't inhaling. We call this setting 10 over 5. Another way to think about BiPAP is that you are always providing 5 centimeters of positive pressure with an additional 5 centimeters of pressure whenever the patient inhales. So why use CPAP instead of BiPAP? The theory goes that BiPAP may be easier for the patient to tolerate because you reduce the pressure in between breaths, which may be more comfortable for the patient. The reality is is that there really isn't a difference in outcomes with CPAP versus BiPAP, and BiPAP probably isn't that much more comfortable for the patient. That being said, we more often use BiPAP in the ED because it's just what we are more comfortable with and we feel like we have more control when we can dial in our settings more precisely than with CPAP. In the pre-hospital realm, you will see CPAP way more often than you'll see BiPAP systems. I'm not sure why you don't see a lot of portable BiPAP machines made for EMS, but this is just what I've noticed. Some EMS CPAP devices are even 100% disposable. All you have to do is connect the mask to a high-flow oxygen source, and it generates continuous positive airway pressure without any sort of bulky equipment or mechanical compressors. For the rest of the podcast, I'll refer mostly to BiPAP when I refer to non-invasive ventilation, since it's the one that we use most often. Now let's talk about which patients need non-invasive ventilation. This is pretty simple. If your patient is having shortness of breath that isn't being fixed with something simple like an albuterol neb, then you should consider putting the patient on non-invasive ventilation. You don't have to put a lot of thought into this. If your patient is really short of breath, you should put them on BiPAP as soon as possible. In some patients, it's not easy to tell right off the bat whether their shortness of breath is from asthma, COPD, heart failure, or pneumonia. But guess what? It doesn't really matter. You can use non-invasive ventilation for all these causes of shortness of breath. You can even use BiPAP to pre-oxygenate the patient before you make an intubation attempt. The extra oxygen and airway pressure that you provide just before intubation can help prevent desaturation and all of its complications. One thing to consider is that while BiPAP may help patients with acute asthma exacerbation, the evidence for it is less convincing than other conditions, so use it with caution in those patients with asthma. Finally, You can even use non-invasive ventilation in a patient who has a "do not resuscitate" or "do not intubate" order. For these patients, you may be looking to make them more comfortable and take away their air hunger, or you may be using this to buy you some time while you can figure out the patient's wishes regarding intubation and further aggressive care. Here's the great thing about non-invasive ventilation: you don't have to know what is causing the patient's shortness of breath because it doesn't really matter. Once again. Non-invasive will help out any patient with shortness of breath, regardless of its cause. Now, with all that being said, there are some patients that you shouldn't put on non-invasive ventilation. If you have a patient who is unconscious, this is the biggest contraindication. The patient needs to be awake and still having some sort of respiratory effort. If the patient is unconscious, then that non-invasive ventilator has moved from supporting the patient's respiratory effort to taking over. This is a bad thing because patients can aspirate with a large volume of air that can be pumped into them if they aren't awake. These aren't patients whom you want to stick in a corner and forget about. One final caution is to make sure that the BiPAP machine doesn't have a backup rate that will kick in if the patient becomes apneic. I've seen this before and it is not ideal because the BiPAP machine will start ventilating the patient and you won't know because it will keep their pulse ox up while putting them at risk for aspiration. So if the patient is totally out of it, then you need to intubate them, not put them on non-invasive ventilation. The other area to be careful about is patients who are hypotensive. BiPAP increases intrathoracic pressure, which decreases preload and afterload, which will cause a drop in blood pressure, so be careful in patients who are hypotensive. Finally, one thing that you may hear about is that some people will claim that BiPAP will increase the risk of MI and it shouldn't be used in patients who are having acute MI, but this is a debunked myth. An early study using CPAP versus BiPAP in patients with acute pulmonary edema suggested an increased rate of myocardial ischemia with BiPAP. However, this relationship was not shown in newer and larger studies, so don't let a concern for MI stop you from using BiPAP. Here's the biggest take-home point that I want to stress to you the most about non-invasive ventilation. Use it early and use it often. If you think your patient with respiratory distress is really sick, then shoot first and ask questions later. Those few minutes of delay could mean the difference of having to intubate the patient or not getting the patient sufficiently oxygenated before an intubation attempt, which can cause them to go into cardiac arrest. So the next thing to talk about is How do we actually put a patient on non-invasive ventilation? First, we need to have the machine available. At some hospitals, this may involve calling respiratory therapy to bring the machine down to the ER. But if you really want your ED to be progressive and on the cutting edge, you should have at least one CPAP or BiPAP machine in the ED at all times. Scott Weingart from the MCRIP podcast is a big advocate of not only having non-invasive ventilation in your ED, but also knowing how to operate it yourself, and I totally agree. You shouldn't have to wait the 5 or 10 minutes it may take for RT to respond to the ED. So whenever you have time, you should get with your RTs and have them show you how to operate whatever non-invasive ventilator your ED has. The next step is to make sure that you have all of your airway equipment and medications ready to go at a moment's notice. If you are putting a patient on non-invasive ventilation, then they are, by definition, critically ill. You need to be ready to perform an RSI at a moment's notice, so make sure to have everything ready in case the patient goes into total respiratory failure or has a decrease in their mental status. Now that we have BiPAP or CPAP at the patient's bedside, we just slap it on the patient, tighten the straps down, and dial up the pressure, right? Well, not really. If you go attacking people with BiPAP masks, they will most likely slug you because they will think you are trying to smother them. Think about it this way. Imagine I have just flipped a switch, and your lungs have filled all the way up with fluid. You are short of breath, sweating, gasping for air, and feeling like you may die. You are sitting bolt upright in bed, with that scared look on your face. Suddenly out of nowhere, with no warning, someone slaps a mask on your face and tightens down the straps. How would you feel if someone did this to you? you would probably use every last ounce of strength to fight them off. What you need to do is to explain everything to the patient ahead of time and talk them through it. We should be the experts at talking with scared patients and their family members because it is what we do and we do it well. You need to coach the patient on what to expect and to get them to trust you that this BiPAP mask will help. With BiPAP, there's an art to doing this. The best way to understand BiPAP is to actually put yourself on BiPAP and see how it feels. So if you have some time, ask your RTs to get you a mask set up and put yourself on BiPAP to see how it feels. I've done this before, and my first impression was that I was drowning in air. The force of the air was intimidating and kind of freaky at first. However, once I let the machine take over some of the work of breathing, it was easy, but it took a little while to get used to and I had to make the conscious decision to relax. This is what you need to do with your patients. You need to get them to trust you, and get them to relax a little. You need to coach them through the whole process. Here's what I usually do. I say to the patient something to the effect of, so sir, we're going to help your breathing. What I'm going to do is give you a mask that will help you breathe. It will blow some air into your face, and it's going to feel really weird at first, but if you relax and let the machine breathe for you, I promise that you will feel better. You can control this by breathing as fast or as slow as you need to and the machine will work with you. So these are the moments where you really earn your paycheck. We know how to be calm in stressful situations and how to be confident in ourselves so that the patient is confident in what we say and do. Use your best calming and reassuring tone of voice and make this seem routine to the patient like we do it all the time because well let's face it we do this all the time. For the next few steps, I'm going to borrow from a blog by Seth Truger from mdaware.org. Seth is a recent graduate from Scott Weingart's residency program, and he has an excellent blog post about how to do non-invasive ventilation, or as he puts it, how to sell ice cream in the desert. It's all about finesse and getting the patient to trust you. I'll post a link to the blog post in the show notes and on the yambasic.org website. Now let me give a little bit of a warning. This can be considered a non-standard and advanced technique that most people won't know about, but if you understand the basics of what Seth is trying to accomplish, then you're going to be much better in implementing non-invasive ventilation for all your patients. So here's how Seth approaches it. First, you'll set the mood and tell the patient that they are in charge, like we just talked about. The next step is to put the mask on with no tubing attached. Get an assistant to help you strap down the other side of the mask and make sure the mask is snugly attached to the patient's face. At this point, there is no air blowing through the mask, but this gets the patient used to the sensation of having a mask strapped on their face. The next step is to attach the tubing to the mask, but at a BiPAP setting of 0 over 0 with 100% oxygen, aka 100% FiO2. All this will do is, is blow 100% pure oxygen into the mask, and it will help the patient adjust to the airflow while helping to oxygenate them at the same time. Have the patient take a few deep breaths so that the BiPAP machine syncs up with their respiratory rate. The next step is to dial up the settings steadily over the span of a few minutes. Start with settings of 0 over 2 and dial it up by 1 or 2 centimeters of water, alternating between the inspiratory In expiratory settings until you reach 10 over 5. Give it about 10 to 15 seconds in between each increase in pressure. Once you get to 10 over 5, reassess the patient. If they are feeling better, then you can keep it there for a while, but if the patient is still having difficulty, then don't hesitate to go up to settings of 15 over 5, or let's say 20 over 10 at a maximum. You aren't going to leave the patient's bedside until they are doing better so you can titrate the settings closely until the patient feels better. After you've dialed up the settings, then keep reassuring the patient. Seth recommends a hand on the shoulder, or as he puts it, playing smooth jazz PRN. If the patient is still having trouble, then he recommends a tiny dose of fentanyl, 12.5 or 25 micrograms of IV fentanyl to relieve air hunger. However, if you're giving fentanyl, then you need to be extra ready to intubate the patient because this represents a patient that is probably close to respiratory failure. Seth then goes on to talk about using ketamine after fentanyl to go to the first part of delayed sequence intubation, which we won't talk about here because it's a whole podcast unto itself, and Scott Weingart from MCRIT does a way better job than I ever will because, well, he invented it. So while I really like Seth's approach to non invasive ventilation, the vast majority of listeners to EM Basic are trainees that may not be in the position to try something brand new on a critically ill patient. So what can we take away from Seth's approach for every patient? Here are the big keys. Talk to the patient a lot, start low, and dial up the settings quickly, and don't be afraid to go higher than 10 over five. If all else fails, just remember to talk to the patient a lot and coach them through it, and that will help you use non-invasive ventilation effectively. Now let's review all of this so we can hammer home the big points. Use non-invasive ventilation early and often in your patients with respiratory difficulty. It doesn't matter what the cause of their respiratory distress is, non-invasive ventilation will help them all. It may not help those with asthma exacerbations as much, but is a good first step to try. Non-invasive ventilation works by increasing laminar flow, which stents open smaller airways and decreases atelectasis. Non-invasive ventilation also decreases pulmonary edema by increasing intrathoracic pressure, which decreases venous return to the heart, which also decreases preload and afterload. CPAP gives up constant pressure all the time and doesn't change with the patient's breathing, while BiPAP gives more pressure with each breath that the patient takes in. Common initial settings for CPAP are 10 centimeters of water, while BiPAP traditionally starts at 10 over 5 if you aren't using Seth's technique. The most important thing to do is to get the patient as calm as you can and reassure them that BiPAP will help. Talk to them in a calm and reassuring voice and let them know what is going on. If you want to follow Seth's technique to the letter, put the mask on first without the tubing and make sure to secure it on both sides using an assistant. Then attach the tubing at a setting of 0 over 0 with 100% FIO2. After the patient has adjusted to the mask, have the patient take some big breaths to sync with the ventilator. Start slowly dialing up the settings, starting with 0 over 2. Alternate increasing the inspiratory and expiratory settings every 10 to 15 seconds. Increase each setting by 1 or 2 centimeters of water until you reach at least 10 over 5. If the patient isn't doing better at 10 over 5, then keep dialing it up Just make sure to keep about 5 centimeters difference between the inspiratory and expiratory settings. At this point, you can consider using a tiny dose of fentanyl to decrease air hunger. Seth suggests 12.5 or 25 micrograms of fentanyl IV. The next step would be to give the patient ketamine, which would represent the first step in delayed sequence intubation, which is a whole other podcast. So that's all I have for now on non-invasive ventilation. I hope this helps you understand why we use non-invasive ventilation and how you can help your patients use this modality to avoid intubation. As always, send me your comments. Until next time, this is Steve Carroll for the Invasive Podcast, signing off.